If you haven't already turned in your Bible, join me in Matthew chapter 27, verses 11 through 26 will be our key text today, Matthew chapter 27, and we're going to seek to answer the question and consider what to do with Jesus. Now, to remind us of where we're at, we're in the midst of the trials of Jesus. Trials, because we ran him here, we ran him there, from the Jews to the Romans, and back and forth, and back and forth. And so now he's coming before Pontius Pilate, who I'll explain to you a little bit more as we go. But this question, what to do with Jesus, is one that all of us must answer. Every person who's ever lived must answer the question, what to do with Jesus. God is our creator. He made us in his image. He has a claim on every human heart. And every person must decide what they'll do with Jesus. Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. And God sent his son in flesh to live among us, to show us how to live, but also to give his life as a sacrifice, the just for the unjust, to bring us into a personal relationship with God. And any of us who call on his name will be saved. We'll be given the right to receive, as we receive and believe him, we have the right to be called children of God. And so here we come to this pivotal trial at which Jesus' life is literally on the line. And one man has the ability either to condemn Jesus to death or acquit Jesus and set him free or just give him a lesser charge. One man, Pilate, and that's what we see here. So if you're able to stand with me, would you stand with me in the honor of reading God's word, Matthew chapter 27, verses 11 through 26. Meanwhile, Jesus stood before the governor and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Yes, it is as you say, Jesus replied. When he was accused by the chief priests and elders, he had no answer. Then Pilate asked him, Don't you hear the testimony they're bringing against you? But Jesus made no reply, not even a single, not even to a single charge, to the great amazement of the governor. Now it was the governor's custom at the feast to release a prisoner chosen by the crowd. At the time, they had a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So when the crowd had gathered, Pilate asked him, Which one do you want me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? For he knew it was out of envy that they had handed Jesus over to him. Verse 19. When Pilate was sitting on the judge's seat, his wife sent a message to him. Don't have anything to do with that innocent man, for I've suffered a great deal today in a dream because of him. But the chief priest and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and to have Jesus executed. Which of the two do you want me to release to you? asked the governor. Barabbas, they answered. What shall I do then with Jesus who is called Christ? Pilate asked. They all answered, crucify him. Why? What crime has he committed? Asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, crucify him. When Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, but that instead an uproar was starting, he took water and washed his hands in front of the crowd. I'm innocent of this man's blood, he said. It's your responsibility. All the people answered, let his blood be on us and on our children. Then 
He released Barabbas to them. But he had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. Let's pray. Father, even if we don't know the whole story, but we just know a little bit about Jesus, we get the idea that this is unjust. Wrong. And to imagine that Jesus is now on the road to the cross, a terrible, wicked death that he didn't deserve, one of the most excruciating punishments ever developed, and that he did it for us. We're humbled to think about that. So, Father, as we consider this question today, what to do with Jesus, would we be reminded again and again by your spirit of your love for us, our sin, and our need for your love to forgive us by your grace, to set us free by your mercy. We pray these things in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Our scripture memory verse for the month comes from our sermon in a few weeks when Jesus is actually dying on the cross. But it reminds us that all of us have a part to be forgiven of. Let's read it together. Luke 23, 34. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. Luke 23, 34. It's easy for us to condemn the folks that were there doing the things to Jesus, but we might quickly and conveniently overlook the fact that it's our sin that led to his need to be crucified. So when we say, Father, forgive them, we need to remember it's us. Coming back to our passage of Scripture today, you introduced to this scene that you see is parallel in Mark chapter 15 and Luke chapter 23. John has some as well in chapter 18 and 19. And you can read those to get the broader picture, but we focus on one text as we're walking through here. And so we see in verse 11 where it says, Meanwhile, Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked, Are you the king of the Jews? Well, it names later, then Pilate the governor. So you need a little background on who was Pilate. Pilate was appointed to this position for about 10 years, 26 to 36 A.D., And Eusebius says, that's a Roman historian, that he was uh, then deposed from his throne and forced to commit suicide sometime during Emperor Gaius' reign between 37 and 41. We have a lot of information from extra-biblical sources. Extra-biblical means outside the Bible. So the Bible names Pilate, but then the Roman historians Philo and uh, Josephus both talk about uh, Pilate extensively, his Weakness, but also his cruelty, his total lack of sympathy for the people under his reign. There are four major episodes that define Pilate's relationship with the Jewish people, of which he was the governor. And the first one is that because he was the Roman governor, the Roman soldiers had insignias 
that had Caesar's image on them. But the Jewish people didn't like that because it was a graven image of a false god. And all the other previous governors had had those uh, insignias removed and just regular buttons that held their capes. But not Pilate. He decided to rub it in the face of the Jewish people. And it wasn't until a major threat of civil disobedience came up. Another was similar that on his palace he had these votive shields that were behind the um, fires that burned outside his palace at night. And they had his name and Caesar's name on them. Again, the Jewish people protested. Again, he said, who cares? And again, they protested to the point that they appealed to higher Roman powers and Pilate got his hand slapped and removed those things. But maybe the worst uh, may be the following two. That when it was time to pay for improvements to Jerusalem city water supply, um, you know, I guess like any mayor uh, today that you need to fix the streets or you need to fix whatever, what are you going to do? Cut expenses or raise taxes? Well, Pilate didn't do either one. He raided the Jewish temple and he took money from the temple treasury. Can you imagine if our mayor just said to all of us as churches that every one of your churches has to give money for us and if you don't give it to us, we're going to take it anyhow because we're in charge. Well, when the Jewish people protested that, he sent his troops and he slaughtered them, countless hundreds. Not unlike that incident was when there was a crowd of Samaritans gathering for a uh, feast and he thought that it was some sort of uprising, he sent his troops and slaughtered them as well. So Pilate was fearful and weak, but cruel and wicked. The Bible records of him in John 19, 12, the words that turn the tide in this debate that we see today when he was accused of being no friend of Caesar. That's when he decided he was going to flip. We'll see that in a few moments as we move along. So we need to ask a few questions. And the first one today is this on bold print on your outline. The first one is why would the Jewish leaders want to kill Jesus? So coming back from talking about Pilate for a minute to the Jewish leaders, the Sanhedrin, the chief priests and the elders of the people. And you see in verse 11 and 12 there, Pilate asked him, are you the king of the Jews? He says, yes, it's what you say. Verse 12, when uh, he was accused by the chief priests and elders, he gave no answer to them. So The writer, Matthew, here is juxtaposing the two times he's been asked this question in his trials. When Pilate asked him, are you the king of the Jews? He says, it's what you say. When the chief priests and elders asked him, he didn't say anything. Why the difference? Because he wasn't going to agree to them because they were trapping him. But Pilate, he answered. It begs that question for us. Why would the Jewish leaders want to kill him? Why would they want to bring him before Pilate? Why would they want to? Well, they saw Jesus legitimately as a blasphemer, someone taking God's name in vain. They saw Jesus legitimately from their perspective uh, in their Jewish religion that still exists today as someone claiming to be something he was not, no matter the signs uh, of and the miracles, no matter the way he taught, no matter the authority he had with the people, everything he said, and that the, all the prophecies lined up, they could not and would not accept Jesus for who he was. He was a threat to their religion. He was a threat to their way of life. He was a threat to their authority and their power. And so they wanted to kill him, yet they couldn't do it on their own. 
capital punishment was illegal for them, so they needed the Romans who were in charge of that area. The Roman Empire allowed the Jewish people to worship and live as they wanted within the bounds of the Roman Empire. And so now the Jewish people are turning to the Romans to say, hey, can you kill this guy for us? Because he's really inconvenient. We don't like him at all. Pilate sees through this, and we'll get to that in a few minutes as well. But here's our question. Where do I have similar attitudes? Now, you may not want to kill somebody. Well, maybe you do, but you know you shouldn't, right? I mean, we've all been mad at people, but hopefully not kill them mad. We might joke about it, but hopefully we wouldn't ever do that. Just as suicide is wrong, and we shouldn't do that. Murder is wrong, and we shouldn't do that. Those are immoral and uh, unjust, and their God's job is to determine life and death, not ours. But we do have similar attitudes, right? We have attitudes in which we don't like somebody bossing us around. We don't like somebody impinging on our territory. We don't like somebody who's a threat to our way of life. And a lot of times we just turn them off or we shun them or put up a boundary or all kinds of things we can do as defensive attitudes. And we may not want to kill them, but it's our desire for control, our pride, our lack of faith or our fear, or all these things come together, whether it's someone at our work, whether it's somebody in our family, whether it has to do with our finances, whether it has to do with control, whether it has to do with our entire life, we get a similar attitude of not trusting and reacting strongly, maybe too strongly. Let's ask our next question in bold print there, and that's, how did Jesus respond to each accusation? Now, you notice I commented on that already. Forgive me for getting ahead of myself. He answered Pilate. He did not answer the Jewish leaders. And there's something we can learn there, which is your next question. What can I learn from Jesus? I think what we can learn from Jesus here is we don't always have to answer everybody. Maybe it's not helpful. Maybe it's going to do more harm than good, cause more of an uproar. Maybe we can learn from Jesus to keep our cool in the face of adversity and conflict to trust God's plan rather than to react on our own and trying to take control. Jesus seems calm and patient, trusting in the midst of a trial with a man who can put him to death. Which leads us to another question, your third question in bold. Why did Pilate want to free Jesus? Now, I've painted this picture that Pilate is a wicked man, and he was. He was weak, and he was fearful, and he was cruel. But did you hear what was happening in this passage of Scripture? Pilate actually wanted to set Jesus free. Let's go back and look at it verse by verse. So verse 13, then Pilate asked him, Don't you hear the testimony they're bringing against you? You understand what he's trying to do? He's trying to pull Jesus out to defend himself. He can't defend Jesus. He doesn't know the situation well enough. Besides, he's supposed to be the judge. And although the judge knows the law, the judge should be impartial in the way the evidence is presented, just as long as it's presented clearly and fairly, right? So he's trying to give Jesus an opportunity to defend himself. He says, don't you hear what they're saying against you? Pilate knew they were making it up. Pilate knew it was a stretch in stories. Pilate knew they were trying to use him and his position to kill a guy that was an inconvenient thorn in their flesh. But verse 14, Jesus made no reply, not even to a single charge, to the great 
amazement of the governor. Pilate's going, dude, Jesus, I just lobbed you a softball, baby. Knock it out of the park and I'm going to set you free, okay? But in this case, Jesus says nothing. We know that Jesus knew there was a greater plan at work. But still, what else is going on here? So, Pilate has given Jesus the opportunity to defend himself. So that's his first option to set Jesus free. But look at the second option. This thing that we portray in our Easter pageant with all the people down here yelling angrily, waving their fist, right? And Pilate up there in his fancy robe. Now it was the governor's custom at the feast to release a prisoner chosen by the crowd. So Pilate sets it up as he thinks there's no way that Jesus could lose. He knew enough about Jesus that Jesus taught like no one else taught. And he was a threat to the Jewish people. And Pilate might have kind of liked that, that he was a threat to the Jewish leaders. But that he had healed people. He had done miracles and all kinds of crazy things like this. So Pilate knew something was different about Jesus. So he proposes the most opposite guy ever to put up as an option, thinking surely when they're given the choice between Barabbas, an insurrectionist, a thief, and a murderer, versus Jesus, who I find no fault in this man, right, but has amazing miraculous power, surely they will choose Barabbas. So this is option number two, where Pilate is trying to set Jesus free. When the crowd gathered, Pilate asked him, which one do you want me to release to you? Barabbas, I'm in verse 17. Or Jesus, who's called the Christ. For he knew it was out of envy that they, the Jews, Jewish leaders, had handed Jesus over to him. Pilate tried. Now, Remember, there's that scene, and we portray it with her standing right there. This says that they sent a message. It says elsewhere that she was there because he's on the judge's seat. That his wife comes to him and says, have nothing to do with this man. I've had a dream about him. Claudia Procula. Claudia was the way that Pilate got his job. See, Claudia was the illegitimate daughter of the third wife of one of the previous Caesars, Right? So her mom got together with another man, and she was conceived, so she wasn't the daughter of the Caesar himself, but the mom had enough sway, even though, you know, she um, had cheated on the Caesar and everything, and you'd expect would have got her head cut off or something like that. Somehow, she survived, and she got her daughter and son-in-law this gig to rule the area of modern-day Israel a place where this story takes place. So however she got the job and whatever type of person she was, and there's some other scriptures about her that we could make some judgment, she was not kind or nice either. But she says, have nothing to do with Jesus. Our question on this one for personal application is what example does Pilate provide? I think what I'm looking for here is the positive example that Pilate provides us when we're confronted with a difficult situation. We can actually learn something good from Pilate, a wicked man, a cruel man, a weak and fearful man, and that was that he tried to do the right thing. He gave options to do the right thing. He even received counsel from his wife to do the right thing and when he was in this jam of this difficult situation. So I think there is something good we can learn from Pilate. 
Didn't know you'd come to church this morning and learn something you could learn from Pilate, did you? There you go. But let's move on in our scripture. Verse 20. But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and to have Jesus executed. Verse 21. Pilate asked again, which of the two do you want me to release to you? Barabbas, they answered. Pilate says, what shall I do with Jesus called the Christ? And they said, crucify him. Why? What crime has he committed? I can hear Dave Morton hollering that right now. Your question here is, why was the crowd so easily persuaded? Not even a week previous. It's been a long time since we got there in my sermon series. But on the real calendar, in the real life of Jesus, not even a week previous, he had rode a donkey into Jerusalem. People were waving palm branches, saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Not even a week previous, he had been greeted as a king. And now, maybe the same people are yelling, crucify him. Why was the crowd so easily persuaded? Well, it may have been that it was a different crowd. It may have been that, you know, the chief priest and others early in the morning, because this is like six in the morning that they're having this trial, um, got together whoever they could get together to yell ugly things about Jesus, you know. I don't know. But one way or the other, the people of Jerusalem, Jewish people other than the Jewish leaders, go from praising Jesus to calling For his execution. The question for our application is this. How quickly do I go along with the crowd? You know how you think you feel strongly about something? Until somebody comes up with a convincing argument for you. And you're like, then you change your mind. What about when it comes to do with things that you know are clear in God's word? about the way we should live our life. Avoid sin, honor God, obey God, love others. That you know all these things because you come to church. You've been in Sunday school, you've been in Awana, you've memorized the verses. Yet when the crowd is going a different direction, you just kind of act like you don't know anything about the Bible and go along with the crowd. How are you and I any different than these people that cried out to crucify Jesus. Verse 24. When Pilate saw he was getting nowhere, but instead an uproar was starting. Well, he's smart enough to know, even though I believe Jesus is innocent, even though I'm looking for a way, and I've tried a couple times to get him set free, these people are going to start a revolt, and these people start a revolt. I'm going to lose my nice position where I get to live in a palace and have things my way and boss people around. So maybe I better find a way out of this. He took water and he washed his hands in front of the crowd. I'm innocent of this man's blood. It is your responsibility. We portray that right up here in our Easter pageant. But do you know where that comes from? That was not a Roman tradition, not a Roman custom. Nowhere else in all the historians of all the Roman Empire is that ever done, but in this scene right here. Why? Because Pilate took a Jewish tradition and used it to be like, in your face, people. 
You're the ones that are wanting to kill this man unjustly. Whether I say it or not, I know it. And I am going to use your symbol of washing my hands of a sin to demonstrate to you that you are the sinners here. Granted, Pilate had a part in it. He's the one that announces or sets him free to be, sets, turns him over to be crucified, I know. But he uses this symbol against them. The question to ask is, what made Pilate give in to the crowd? And I already answered that one. I'm sorry, I get ahead of myself sometimes. He was protecting himself, protecting his position, protecting his way of life. And yes, he may have had a legitimate concern for the people. And if uprest, unrest came and you know things would get destroyed and people would get injured. But it really seems like from everything else we know about Pilate from the Bible and elsewise that he was really interested in protecting his own hide. And so your question there of application is, what can I learn from this? This is the negative example that Pilate teaches us this morning. What can I learn from this negative example? We have the positive example. Here's the good things Pilate tried to do. This is the negative thing that Pilate actually did. Rather than do the right thing, he went back on his conscience and he went along with the crowd even though he had an army that could hopefully help control them, even though he had the ability to say this man is innocent, even though his wife said have nothing to do with him, no matter how crooked and wicked she might have been otherwise, he was cowardly. He was unwilling to take the risk to do right. Let's finish our scripture passage, verse 25 and 26. So all the people answered, let his blood be on us and on our children. We've heard that here in our sanctuary. We've yelled it and screamed it as part of the play. So then he, Pilate, released Barabbas to them and he had Jesus flogged and handed over to be crucified. Your final bold question there is what was the crowd willing to bear? It seems bizarre. But in the heat of the moment, for whatever reason, they pronounced this macabre curse on themselves. Let his blood be on us and on our children. Your final question is this. How should this be a warning to me? I'm guessing you don't run around pronouncing ugly curses on yourself, right? You might have a habit of cursing other people, foul, foul, filth, and foul, foul you, right? But you generally don't curse yourself, at least knowingly. But as far as our actions, we do. What can we learn here from the crowd? Again, it's a negative example of what not to do. What should be our warning? What should be our reminder to obey? So we've looked in this story, and I think we can learn something from everybody here. We can learn something from Jesus. We can learn something from Pilate. We can learn something uh, from the Sanhedrin, the Jewish leaders. We can learn something from the people. But it all comes down to this as we apply it to our lives. What should I do personally with Jesus? If Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, came to save every person who's ever lived for their sin, and I'm a person, therefore I need to decide. 
Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we're so very moved when we consider this passage of Scripture this morning. It's hard to imagine what happened. It gets even harder in the verses ahead. But as we consider these things today, we're thankful for your love for us and Jesus' love for you and his obedience to you that was demonstrated by his love for us, that he was willing to go through unjust trials and to be flogged and crucified and die to save us for our sins. But Father, as we consider the examples that we learn here today, we pray that we would be willing to obey you, to do the right thing, to follow what your word says, to follow where the Holy Spirit leads us, that we might bring glory to you. So God, we thank you for your word as always, and we pray that if there's anyone here who needs to trust Jesus as their personal Savior and Lord, they do that right now this morning. Anyone here that needs to unite with this church family, they do that this morning. Anyone here that needs to confess and surrender anything to you, they do that right now this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.